So again, good morning, brothers and sisters. I hope that those of you who weren't able to join with us on the men's retreat were blessed by the ministry of our brother Greg Shepherd. And if you weren't here for it, I encourage that you would be encouraged in your worship. And whether you are here in person this morning or if you are joining with us online, I pray that God will be preparing your heart to be encouraged in the Word and to worship with me as we do so. I've been taking a couple-week break from Abraham. It is time that we re-engage. Interesting that Abraham gets far and away the most airtime in the story of this hall of fame of faith that we're looking at in Hebrews 11. In verses 8 through 12, we talked about Abraham and Sarah's trust for God in a promise regarding a son, a promise regarding a land to inherit. Well, this morning we're going to zoom in particularly on the event that Abraham is perhaps best known for. And then we will also engage with some of the ensuing history that comes out of that in the patriarchs that follow the same model. So I encourage you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to start in verse 17. We're going to run through to verse 22. In Hebrews 11, 17 through to 22. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. In the story of Abraham, it seems like God was progressively upping the ante, as it were. Abraham was called to go to a foreign land leaving everything and everyone he knew behind. So he went. He was promised a son and a land that his family would inherit. And they both believed, and as such, they were given this son. In Genesis 21.12, they were told explicitly that it was through this son, Isaac, that his offspring would be named. And then in what would become the defining moment in Abraham's life and indeed become a turning point in all of history, Abraham was called to do the unthinkable. All of us are likely familiar with that story, but we'll look at it again in Genesis 22. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here am I. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, 
and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son, Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife so that they both of them were together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father. And he said, Here am I, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order. And he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He said, Here am I. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, The Lord Will Provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gates of his enemies And in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham lived at Beersheba. It can't come as much of a surprise to us that this passage has become a major stumbling block for many within our culture. There's a lot of questions of how could a loving God do that? Why would an omniscient, all-powerful God test Abraham in this way? These are the same questions that arise when we read passages like the hardening of Pharaoh's heart before Moses. The same questions come up when we are thinking of the doctrine of hell and eternal conscious punishment. How could a loving, good God do that? But the problem with the line of reasoning behind these arguments is that they ultimately place humanity at the center of the discussion. If Abraham was in the driver's seat, If he was the one in charge, there's no way on earth that he would have obeyed God in this situation. 
The same would have gone if he would have allowed his family and the needs of his family to take precedence. We were blessed on our men's retreat as we talked about the hierarchy of our responsibilities as men and indeed as mankind. At the bottom of the pile is our responsibilities to things like our own just joy and frivolous needs and things like work or friends or our civic and political responsibilities. All of those things kind of fall close to the bottom of the pile. Then come our responsibilities to God's church. Each one of us as part of God's church have a responsibility to the church. Narrowing it down further, then we have the responsibility to our first ministry, that is to our families, to care for them. But there is a reason that God has designed us to place Him, Himself, as our central priority. Underneath Him should every other priority of ours fall. We are created that our primary role, as stated in another Christian confession, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, our role is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. There is no greater thing that a human being or humanity collectively can aspire to than to glorify God. Abraham understood this. While its words fail to describe Abraham's response here, it would not have been something he was comfortable with. It would have gone against every protective instinct as Isaac's father. Protective instincts instilled by God. But Abraham knew that somehow, in some way, that this was the right thing to do simply because God was the one who commanded it. By faith, that is by the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen, Abraham obeyed God even in the face of a command that seemed absolutely beyond comprehension. There's something here I want us to catch. Sometimes we read passages like this, or we even read the passage describing this in James 2, which says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. We see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. We read passages about faith sometimes and assume that the kind of faith that is being displayed, the trust being showed to God, is some manner of blind faith. The cross your fingers and hope for the best model. That cross your fingers and hope for the best model works when you are at the claw machine in the arcade hoping for that fluffy bunny for yourself or for your children. I'm not going to say which is which, but 
that kind of faith, oh man, I hope that I can, I can win this toy. That kind of cross your fingers faith, I guess it works there. But it doesn't hold up when it comes to things of real significance. And it is this manner of faith, this manner of thinking about faith, that is the reason why much of the world cannot fathom what would possess us to hold to faith in the face of the realities of our world. When the rubber meets the road, when life gets hard, when things are gritty and there is no light showing at the end of the tunnel, our world looks at our faith and goes, why would you bother with that? Because their concept of faith is just wishing real hard. If your version of faith is the power of positive thinking, crossed fingers, and God just seems like the best bet, then when God comes before you and says, you, I promised you a son, I gave you a son, now go and sacrifice that son to me as a burnt offering. That faith will crumble to dust and you will take your own way out every single time. Because you're in the driver's seat. You are having faith in yourself. Now, not many of us have been called to sacrifice a child in that way. But God has shown that the measure of our faith is often found in our willingness to surrender the things that we love and care about into his hands, into his care. God has given general commands to love him with all our heart and soul and mind and strength and to love our neighbor as ourself. But God has also given us a variety of purposes and callings. He has gifted and he has equipped us to accomplish certain tasks. He's given gifts, wealth, spouses, children, land, talents, resources, all of these things he has given us, all that we might serve him, that whatever we do might be done for his glory. But sometimes, as a business owner, as a husband or a wife, as a parent, as a single person desiring a partner, sometimes God calls us to do something that seems totally counterproductive to whatever else we think he has purposed for us. It is often in those moments that real faith and counterfeit faith are winnowed from each other. Just before the passage I read in James 2, he says, You believe that God is one, you do well, even the demons believe and shudder. Authentic faith submits itself to the will of God. Counterfeit faith will ultimately pursue what is best for us. Numero uno. 
Back to the story of Abraham, that moment where the angel of the Lord calls out and stays Abraham's hand. There's no longer any question for the veracity of Abraham's faith. But I enjoyed reading this and taking time to study this because you start to look between the lines in this account and you hear kind of some of the explanations throughout Scripture. And you hear from our passage this morning, Abraham considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. God had promised that through Isaac, Abraham and his family would continue and be blessed. And then we have this moment where God calls Abraham to sacrifice Isaac before that could be fulfilled. Even when God's promise and his command seem to be totally at odds with each other, there's this moment where Abraham is faithful. Theologian F.F. F. Bruce says it this way, Abraham treated it as God's problem. It was for God and not for Abraham to reconcile his promise and his command. So when the command was given, Abraham promptly set about obeying it. His own duty was clear. And God could safely be trusted to discharge his responsibility in the matter. One of my favorite accounts in the Gospel of Matthew is the one that I had Tim read earlier. The centurion, his servant is ill, paralyzed, and suffering. He comes before Jesus and asks him to heal his servant. And when Jesus offers to come to his house and to heal him, the centurion says, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed them, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. This centurion had no misconceptions about who it was that he was speaking to. This centurion knew that he was speaking to a man with God's own authority. This man whom even the wind and the waves obeyed. He, like Abraham, knew what God was capable of and didn't for a second doubt that he was capable of bringing to pass that which was commanded. Looking at the story of Abraham, how many of us, when God commands something of us, when he demands something of us, our first instinct, our knee-jerk reflex is to go to our bank account or to our calendar or to our resources, our assets, our gifts. And then we attempt to see if we can reconcile God's leading with what we can reasonably do. How many of us, God says, do this, and we go... I don't know if I've got the money to do that. I, I don't even close to have the time to doing that. I can't do that because I don't have... 
X, Y, Z. Can we reasonably accomplish this? There was absolutely nothing reasonable about God's request of Abraham, about God's command to Abraham. It was beyond the pale of what could be reasonably expected of any parent. And it was beyond the pale of, okay, God told me and promised that he would give me a family and a heritage through Isaac, and now he's telling me to sacrifice, and there's nothing reasonable here. And yet he obeyed anyways. And his obedience wasn't the blind, worthless, cross-your-fingers type faith. He knew and he trusted God's character. Abraham had been given multitude of opportunities to come to know God and to come to understand and to trust him. And God then tests Abraham's faith. I love that Abraham even worked out in his own head how God might accomplish his promise. You can see this thought process where Abraham's going, okay, God's promised that I would have a heritage through Isaac. God has called me to sacrifice Isaac. So Abraham works it out. God must be willing to give Isaac back to me after I sacrifice him. God could do that. Abraham works out in his head, okay, knowing God's character, I know that he's going to fulfill his promise, but I'm also called to obey, so maybe this is how he's going to do it. But either way, Abraham obeys. Abraham's faith here shines in so many different ways, not only in his willingness to do what God has told him to do, but also in the trust that he had in God's character and that God would remain faithful to his promise. Abraham told his servants, stay here with the donkey and I and the boy will go over there and worship and come back again to you. Abraham told Isaac, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. I don't think that these are the lies of a man trudging to do the unthinkable. I think these are the words of a man who has the utmost assurance and conviction in the God whom he has worshipped. I trust that God somehow, some way is going to, I am going to come back to my servants with Isaac somehow, some way. I don't know how it's going to work. Maybe God will allow me to sacrifice Isaac and give him back to me. Somehow God will provide. Then because of Abraham's faithfulness and his obedience, God swears an oath to Abraham, an oath on himself, that because of his obedience, because he held nothing back, that he would bless Abraham and his family forever. Then we get this interesting piece here. It's following Abraham's example. Our passage in verse 20 starts going on, By faith Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. 
By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. The decisions that Abraham made, the faith that he displayed, and the blessing that he received in that moment on the top of the mountain would then reverberate down that family tree. That blessing would be passed father to son. And that blessing echoed down Abraham's family line to the birth of Christ, and then it echoed out into the entire world that in Abraham's offspring all the nations of the earth are blessed because he obeyed God's voice. So for us here today, beneficiaries of the blessing that came upon Abraham have a responsibility that when God makes a call upon our lives, that we remember what God has commanded us in his word. God commanded Moses, It is the Lord your God you shall fear, him shall you serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you, for the Lord your God is in your midst, and he is a jealous God. Perhaps this passage seems like an odd capstone of our service today, but when God gives us a command, we are faced with a question. Who is it that we serve? Do we serve our own desires? Do we serve our own intellect? Do we serve our own emotions or our own good prudence? Or do we serve the God who created all things and who gives good gifts to those who would serve him? The God who has begun a good work within us and will bring it to completion upon the day of Christ Jesus. We cannot look to our own calendars or bank accounts or gifts or abilities to determine whether or not we obey God. That is what our world has done. I keep coming back to the examples that we see throughout Pride Month, and we go, well, this is the way I was created. I was born this way, so I am going to trust the fact that because this is my my particular bent that this is right, and I'm going to follow it wholeheartedly. We cannot trust our own assumptions. We cannot trust our own personal desires. We cannot trust our own hearts. Our own hearts are wicked. If Abraham had trusted his own heart, he would have told God, there is no way I am sacrificing my own son when you have promised that you will give me a heritage through that son. No. Instead, we recognize that our God is a jealous God. He will suffer no idols. And he will be the center of our hearts and our lives. When Abraham offered up even his only son, he showed clearly that God was at the center of his heart and his life, that he served the Lord and the Lord only. 
to make any other choice would have demonstrated that an idol would have taken root in Abraham's heart, an idol of self or family or pride or whatever it might be. And should the Lord ask something of you that seems too much, should he call you to lay something down that is just too dear to your soul, remember that God did not even stay his hand against his only begotten son. This picture of Abraham and Isaac immediately draws our eyes to Christ. God stayed Abraham's hand and said, I will provide another lamb. And immediately he did. The ram caught in a thicket. But then God the Father sent his only begotten son because he loved the world so much that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Our eyes are turned towards Jesus. We know that Abraham unknowingly prophesied of the one who John the Baptist would call the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And if our God was willing to give even his only begotten son, then who are we to withhold from him? Whatever God might ask of each one of us, may we demonstrate the genuine nature of faith that was shown by Abraham. God told Abraham to go, and he went. God told Abraham he would give him a son, and he believed. God gave Abraham a son and then told Abraham to give up his son, and I can't imagine that he liked it, but he went, I trust you, God. He withheld nothing from God. We must withhold nothing from God. Abraham trusted God to remain true to his promise. And in doing so, demonstrated that nothing but the Lord held ultimate sway in his life. When God commands us to do something, let us examine our own hearts. And when our hearts turn to, well, I don't know if I can do that because... And let us viciously root out the idols that pop up in those moments and say, my bank account cannot be my idol. My work, my family, my desires, my hearts, whatever it might be, they cannot come before what God has commanded. Let us be merciless with our idols and let us withhold nothing from God. MJ was planning on leading us in a closing song, so I'll ask him to come up. I'm sure I scared him using his name here because now I don't just say the worship team. Would you pray with me? Our God and our Heavenly Father, we pray that you would 
work in our hearts and grant us the gift of faith. Give us the kind of faith that is willing to obey even when nothing comes close to making worldly sense. Give us the kind of faith that, it, that was required when Abraham was willing to give even his only son back to you. Lord, may we recognize that we give nothing to you that you have not first given us. And that we can trust your promises. For you are good and you are God. Lord, I pray in my own life and in the life of your people of Elk Point Baptist Church and those who would listen online, that we would follow Abraham's example of faith. And that as we do so, our eyes would be turned towards Christ. That we would recognize that we have faith in the one who is faithful. You have been faithful and good to your people, demonstrating time and again your love for us. As we gathered around your table, we proclaimed the death of our Savior. But we proclaimed it knowing that that death was not the end of the story but that Christ has been raised again and is reigning at your right hand. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness and for your gift of faith. We ask that you would go with us this week and show us areas where we may display that faith as we go about our daily lives. Praise things in Jesus' name.